Good morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to open with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 8. If you do not have a copy of God's Word uh, and you'd like a hard copy to look at uh, rather than just on the screen, you can slip up your hand and one of our church members is coming down the aisles and he's got extra copies of God's Word and we will be in Proverbs chapter 8 this morning. Proverbs chapter 8. We have been journeying through as a church the book of Proverbs. We started in January, been working through uh, from verse 1 all the way till now, beginning in chapter 8. And uh, I, when we outlined the book of Proverbs uh, in November of last year and began thinking about how we would preach through this book, I hoped and longed and wanted to preach this chapter, particularly on this day. I wanted to see us fall here, and by God's grace, we have fallen here on this day, because Proverbs chapter 8 is holy ground in the book of Proverbs, written hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus Christ, but for thousands of years following the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Christians from the 1st century, 2nd century, 3rd century, 4th century, you can read Christians writing and reflecting on Proverbs chapter 8 and seeing in it the face of Jesus Christ. The wonder, the mystery, the glory of who Jesus really was. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're going to work first through this text in Old Testament context, asking What was King Solomon wanting us to know about the wisdom of God in this chapter? We're going to move quickly through four truths about what wisdom is. That's the first half of the sermon. You're going to need to catch your breath at that point. And then we're going to move into the second half of the sermon where we look at the text again, but this time from a New Testament perspective. This time knowing what the grand plan of God was with Jesus Christ as the climax. Jesus himself says that he and his resurrection is the key to understanding all of the Bible. After his resurrection, he circles his followers up in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, and he says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled, and he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That's our prayer this morning. That's our hope for this sermon. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 1. We're going to read through verse 11, and we're going to pause and pray for understanding, and then we're going to work our way through the entire 36 verses, Lord willing. Verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice on the heights beside the way? At the crossroads, she takes her stand. Besides the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call. My cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I speak noble things. From my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. They're all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver. 
knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. All right, let's, let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would help us to answer the call of this text, the invitation of this text. Father, I pray that you would remove me from uh, being any sort of stone of stumbling. Help me not to say anything that is untrue. Help me not to say anything that is uh, originated within me, but may I only explain eternal things, true things, work the miracle of clear speech, work the miracle of clear understanding, work the miracle of hearts being changed to not only hear what they, uh, uh, is being spoken, but to love it this morning and to love the one who truly speaks wisdom, God, we pray. Uh, visit us this morning. May the Spirit of God uh, be tangible, be manifest in this place in such a way that we are enabled to behold the glory of Jesus more clearly. Do that in our midst, God, we pray, by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Proverbs 8 starts with a question, the kind of question that doesn't expect you to answer differently than what the question wants you to answer. The question is... Does not wisdom call? It's designed to lead you to answer positively, right? It's like when my wife walks by the trash and it's full and she says, have you taken the trash out yet? She doesn't really want me to answer. There's an action that's desired, right? This is not asking you to think about whether wisdom is calling. Does not wisdom call? Answer, yes, it calls. Does not understanding cry out? Answer, yes, yes, she does raise her Voice, Lady Wisdom in Proverbs 8 personifies the wisdom of God doing something. And the something that the wisdom of God is doing is inviting you to something, calling out to you for something. So if you're a note taker, we're going to see seven truths this morning. Sounds a lot, number of perfection, so it'll be fine. Truth number one, God's wisdom calls to us. God's wisdom calls to us. Verse 2 Continues to describe wisdom calling out, crying out to humanity. Verse 2, on the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Besides the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud to you, O men, I call. My cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Lady Wisdom cries out in this text with an invitation for all of humanity. She cries to the children of man, to the simple ones, to the fools. Humanity is not portrayed here in the best of light, is it? <laughs> she cries out to humanity who synonymous with fool, simple. The text obviously portrays that we're in need of something. We're in need of this call. We're in need of some sort of better path than the path we naturally are on. We're in need of an invitation. And the, the loud call presumably is calling because the path we're on most naturally, is not the path that we should be on. Whether there's some alternative to the way we live our lives naturally as human beings. God's wisdom, thus, is offering an invitation to a better way than the only way we know. Proverbs 8, verse 6, wisdom continues to make her case that her way is better than the way we're on. Here, for I will speak noble things, 
From my lips comes what's right. From my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. They're all straight to him who understands, right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. Wisdom is better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. There's invitation here for you. A call to all of the children of mankind. If you fit in that category, this, this call is for you. That, that no matter how foolish you've been, how wicked you are, how far away from God you may feel, how deep the sin, how hardened the heart, no matter age or race or paycheck or past or present or future, if you fit in the category, child of mankind, the wisdom of God has a call for you in this moment. An invitation The wise path of the living God is better, and it's open to you. But if you're here, even this morning, Easter morning, you're not here by accident. You're here because the wisdom of an eternal God is calling. Wisdom in the book of Proverbs is the essence of God's word to us. God's word that is urging us to know God personally, And then, by product of that, to know how to live in God's world, God's way. The the best way, the most blessed way. You're here because God's calling you, inviting you to that better way that's described here as the way of nobility, rightness, a way of truth, righteousness, a straight path, better than silver and gold, better than jewels, according to verse 11, better than anything you could possibly desire. That's the fundamental difference, isn't it? You choose the path that you are on presently because it is the path you desire most, whether that be the wrong path or the right path. And this text is saying what God offers you is better than anything you can even think about desiring in the world, just to cover all our bases. The invitation to God is not an invitation to stop doing fun things and to sacrifice your joy. The invitation is to the most joy, the joy that you don't even know that you should have a taste for yet. Nothing in the cosmos you can desire compares with the invitation to walk with God in God's world according to God's way. Truth number two is this, God's wisdom is the way of blessing. Everyone's looking for the way of blessing. Everyone's looking for the pathway to happiness, to satisfy the, the, the soul that is, has no rest. Listen to the ways wisdom describes herself. Verse 12. She says, I wisdom dwell with prudence. I find knowledge and discretion. In other words, God's path of wisdom here is the path to true reality. True prudence, knowledge, and discretion. To walk according to God's wisdom is to be delivered from the delusion and the darkness of what we think is valuable and what we think is most important. It's a deliverance from the lies that we believe to be true in the world. We live in a cultural moment that denies absolute truth. 
that denies that there is such a thing as wisdom that knows knowledge and discretion. We live in a cultural moment of absolute confusion, chaos, in the very nature of humanity about who God is, about the value of human life, the purpose of human life, the design for human flourishing, confusion about what, even, what kind of gender we even are, and how we interact as human society, how we respond to someone who disagrees with us. There's, there's total darkness is the culture that we live in. And, and the only absolute truth believed in this culture is that every human being has the right to do in their own eyes, no matter what God has said. But the offer is that there's clarity on the path of God clarity about God and about morality and about purpose in life. I mean, look at verse 13. The fear of the Lord, which we defined earlier, a right understanding of who God is and what he's done and what he's doing in the world. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech. I hate the path of wisdom here. We are freed to see God for who he really is on this path. We're free to love the right things and to hate the right things. We're free to be humbled before him, no longer controlled by the shackles of our own pride, trying to prove that we know it all. We're free to, to be humble because we have the one who exists far above us that squashes any pride we could ever have. We're free to see evil for what it really is. Verse 14 continues, I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. You see this call to walk according to God's wisdom, to walk according to the way of God. It's not just a call to do spiritual things and to sit in a circle and hold hands and sing kumbaya to do churchy things, to do only what you would consider to be spiritual things. Wisdom here uh, includes that for sure. It includes all the things we think of as being a spiritual person. But humanity was created to reflect the majesty of their creator's wisdom in everything that they do. We were made, do you notice here, by wisdom, kings rule. By by. By, by wisdom, princes carry out their job in governments and in, in as they rule over kingdoms. We were made to reign and rule over God's creation. Listen, if you're a human, right, we were made to be fruitful and to multiply and to steward families or start businesses to rule kingdoms. We were made to build great big stuff to create beautiful works of art, to, to play remarkable musical symphonies. We were made to make stuff and manage stuff for the glory of God, according to the wisdom of God. It's interesting that the same word for wisdom in Proverbs is the same word used to describe the abilities of those people who built the furnishings and architecture of the tabernacle and the temple. That even in things like carpentry and masonry and construction and engineering, all of these operate according to the wisdom of God in the fabric of creation, right? I mean, wisdom enables people to govern, 
their jobs and families and relationships in ways that bring blessing to themselves and blessing to all the world. To, in ways that, that enable flourishing of, of people. I see teachers out here and uh, principals and I see construction workers and I see uh, all, uh, people in the military and I see God, God, there is wisdom in the fabric of creation and there's a particular way you can do your job which brings flourishing to other people, blessing and goodness and that particular way of doing your job is according to the wisdom of God. Wisdom's the stuff with which the world was made. That's why math works. It was God's idea. But wisdom is not just the stuff that the world was made with. It's, it's, it's more than that. It's personal. It's closely associated with God himself. Look at verse 17. Wisdom personified says things like this. I love those who love me. Those who seek me diligently, they find me. God's wisdom loves us and blesses us as we love him and seek him. This is, this is true here and now, but this is especially true for all of eternity. There is enduring wealth, everlasting inheritance on the way that is God's way. You look at verse 18. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. My yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and the path of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. God's wisdom is the way of blessing. And it makes sense. If you walk according to the way that God created the world, designed the world to function, to glorify him best, it makes sense that there would be blessing in that path. Verse 22 transitions, and wisdom personified begins to exalt herself that the wisdom of God existed long before the world was created. And the wisdom of God was even involved in the creating of this world. Now, now watch as verse 22 sort of escalates in its loftiness and its grandeur as it's supposed to stir us to worship. Look at verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old, ages ago, I was set up. At the first. Before the beginning of the earth, when there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, before he'd made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him. Like a master workman, I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. She's more than a concept here, isn't she? This wisdom, wisdom of God's more than an, a nice option on a buffet of many ways that you could live life here. Wisdom Described here is an eternal attribute of the living God, the agent of creation. Truth number three, God's wisdom was the agent of creation. Wisdom flows from God. You have to go find wisdom, right? 
we all need it to be poured into us. We need, we need to seek what we don't have. We're not born with it. If you're a parent with kids, you know they're not born with it, right? Or if you remember your teenage years, you know you weren't born with it. We, we need wisdom given to us from the outside. God, on the other hand, has always been the being from which wisdom flows. He's never needed anyone else to give him advice, to give him counsel. He created through and from and according an eternal wisdom that he always rejoiced in delightfully from the beginning of time. As the, for the rest of the sermon, we're going to have to stretch our theological minds a little bit to consider an eternal God when everything that we've ever seen ever has a beginning. The only being in the universe is the being who has no, uh, God is the, the one who has no beginning. It's beyond what we can think. What does forever and ever and ever and ever eternity past look like for God? Existing before anything existed, but then being the source of everything good, everything true, everything worthy, everything joyful, and then creating, designing, causing all things, establishing heavens, making skies, assigning seas, their limits, marking out the foundation of the earth, according to the wisdom that he's always had. Like an overflow of a fountain of wisdom into created things that we now get to enjoy. There's wisdom in a black cup of coffee early in the morning as you see the sun rise. It's God's design. Your ten spoons, hallelujah. That's the first hallelujah we've gotten. You better warm up. God has never not been wise in everything he does and is. Creates and sustains according to wisdom. You see what wisdom is doing here. It's bringing, bringing order out of chaos, light out of darkness, everything out of nothing. And as I said, that's why math works. It's why musical notes harmonize to make good sounds that your ears recognize. It's why the complexity of human anatomy is keeping you alive right now. It's because of God's wisdom. And when God gives a command for his people in the world that he designed... That command he gives is for a purpose, according to a design, for their ultimate good. Now, the God in heaven, infinitely wise, is not brainstorming of how to make your life less joyful, more difficult. When God gives a command, it's for their good in a world that was perfectly good. Now, if that's true, and if all that's true... Why is the world so messed up, right? I mean, if, if God's wisdom was there establishing the heavens and, and telling the seas, you notice the language when he talks about the seas? He gives the limits to the seas for them not to trespass, for the seas not to sin, for the seas not to spill over into places where God said, don't go here. And the seas listen. Now, what's the problem? Humanity didn't listen. We, we said, you're the infinitely wise God that said this is the way to flourishing, but I think there's a better way than the way that you've articulated. Why is it so messed up? The Bible says sin. Sin is simply this. What is sin? It is to rebel against God's wisdom. It is to oppose 
God's created order. The essence of foolishness is to reject God's wisdom and therefore to reject God. Things are messed up in our world, corrupted in our world, because his creatures refuse to walk according to his design. All of us have a choice to make, this Proverbs puts before us. We can answer God's invitation to walk according to his way, or we can walk contrary to the very wisdom that created the universe and breathed our lives into existence. This is the invitation, and then to close out the proverb, the author makes the choice crystal clear. Verse 32. Oh, sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. Do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains the favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Truth number four, God's wisdom is life or death. The choice is clear. The proverb, the author of Proverbs is saying, listen to God, keep his ways, hear his instruction, be wise, be blessed, live according to God's wisdom, obtain his favor, live according to wisdom, find life, or refuse to seek God, refuse to love God, fail to find God, and injure yourself. Hate God and his wisdom, and the text says, what you've decided to do is to love death. The choice is simply a choice between life, which flows from God, or death, which is the result of humanity's decision to disregard God. Our decision to go our own way in our own little world leads to death. It's the same decision that was put before Adam and Eve, and they chose wrongly. And everyone in this room has been choosing wrongly ever since. All of us. When we look back at our lives, we realize that we have chosen wrongly. And what we need is more than just a commandment from God yelling at us to choose wisdom, right? Because for all of us, it's too late. <laughs> I mean, we've, we've already chosen foolishness. Well, we need God to do more than just present us with a choice between wisdom and folly, because I don't know about you, but I fail at making that right choice all the time. I, as your pastor, fail regularly, weekly, to choose the wise path. And what I, what I don't need from God is just a louder voice saying that I messed up and that I need to try harder next time. What I need from God is something more than just the proverb saying, here's the right way. I don't screw up because I don't know the right way. <laughs> I know the right way now, and I still screw up. What I, what I need for God is more than just commands, this is the good way. What I need from God is for him to forgive me of my foolishness, to save me from constant rejection of him, and to transform me to be the kind of man who loves wisdom more than I love my folly. folly. What, what I need from God the Father is what he provided me in the person and work of Jesus. 
For literally thousands of years, pastors and theologians have read Proverbs 8, and they've seen its call, its invitation, and they've recognized this was preparing a world for the voice of Jesus. The personified voice of wisdom in this proverb, it's just a, it's a type, it's a foreshadow, it's a glimpse of what would later be revealed with the most clarity in Proverbs, what we see in the Proverbs. You remember the, the whole thing, Solomon asks, uh, God comes to Solomon and says, what can I give you? And Solomon says, give me wisdom. And God pours wisdom into King Solomon. And that's why we have the book of Proverbs. He wrote down these wise things. And it was miraculous and wonderful, so much so that queens and kings from other nations were flocking to hear the words of Solomon because he had been given the wisdom of God. Queen of Sheba, this wealthy queen, comes to him just to hear his words because she's heard the rumors of the kinds of wisdom that he has. And then Jesus shows up in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42. And the religious people are rejecting Jesus, not wanting to hear what he has to say. And in Matthew 12, verse 42, it says this. Jesus says, the queen of the south, talking about the queen of Sheba, will rise up, rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And hear what Jesus says. Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. You see, the wisdom that God possessed at the beginning, that he gave a portion, a small portion to Solomon, the wisdom that was a master workman in the creation of the cosmos was nothing compared to what was standing before them, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus claims throughout, and his followers claim throughout, that read Proverbs after chapter 8 about the one through whom things were created, the one through whom uh, was rejoicing in the children of man, who was presence with God and was God, and they will say, I see Jesus in this text. The fullness of wisdom revealed. But listen, just listen, this is, just let these verses just wash over you this morning as we think about the person of Christ. John chapter 1, verse 1. See if you'll recognize this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him, Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. Glory of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. These are deep waters we are here. And now we are in the second leg of the sermon. So get ready. Truth number five. Jesus is wisdom revealed. Everything that we've just been talking about, God's infinite wisdom, his infinite knowledge, power, holiness, goodness. What if God wanted to make himself known most clearly, most personally? What if God wanted us to see his wisdom not just in words on a page about a personified voice of wisdom? What would God do? Well, we believe what God did. He stepped into humanity. We believe that Jesus literally was the eternal word, wisdom of God, through which God created all things, and then he was embodied in human flesh. You realize everything we read in Proverbs, every, all the voices that you hear of righteousness, that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the only one to have obeyed perfectly every proverb. 
He's the only one to, to have come and been the very concept of wisdom embodied, incarnate, walking around us. The very agent of creation who was eternally present, uh, delighting in the inhabited world, stepped into the world. Colossians 1, 15, he's the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven or earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authority, all things were created through him and for him. What you see is that Jesus is not just wisdom, he's better than wisdom, he's more than wisdom, he's the fullness of wisdom, because in Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom is just seen as the agent of creation. In Colossians chapter 1, not only is Jesus the agent of creation, creation was made for him. It is for his glory. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And this is what Paul prays for you in Colossians 2, too, that your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery. What is that which is Christ? Again, in Hebrews Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to the fathers by prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by his power. Truth number five was Jesus is wisdom revealed. Quite literally, in any situation, we can ask, as the old bracelets say, what would Jesus do? And we are simultaneously asking, what's the wisest thing to do? What would wisdom do? Now, it's a stunning thing that God would reveal his infinite wisdom in a person that we can hug <laughs> and sit with and hear but perhaps what is equally stunning is humanity's response to such revelation, right? Now, how does humanity respond when wisdom infinite becomes a person and can share a meal with them? What does humanity do with that? They kill him. That's, that's what humanity does with the wisdom of God. They eradicate it. They, they don't want it. Number six, Jesus was wisdom crucified. I mean, Proverbs 8.36 certainly proves true. Those who hate wisdom love death. See, so yeah, Jesus was wisdom embodied. He exposed that they needed a savior, exposed that they were not as righteous as they thought they were. He demanded humility and repentance and faith, and they cried in response, crucify him, crucify him. Get him out of here. They, they poured out on him all the curses and punishments they could. They slaughtered the word of God. You know, that's what's happening at the cross. It's, it is, here is the word of God in the flesh. Let's kill it, because we cannot stand to hear it. They murdered the light of God, the bread of life, the source of living water, the Son of God, Messiah, Christ, author of life, Savior, King of kings, Lord of lords. They murdered wisdom incarnate. In foolishness, they opposed wisdom 
to the point of death. And they showcased what really is in the human heart. But in doing so, they only proved that God was wiser than them. <laughs> they, you, at the cross, God was doing the kind of thing that only God can do. He, he, he takes the foolishness of man deserving of death, and he uses all of their attempts to overthrow the plan of God, and, and he puts them in a position where they unintentionally fulfill the infinite plan of God. He takes their foolishness and, they, and their action and he paves the way to eternal life. The fools did not realize that they were only doing what God had always planned to happen. They crucified Jesus and thus aided in the will of God to provide Jesus as the perfect sacrifice and loving substitute for the very sinners who were nailing him to a tree. The cross, the death, the burial of Jesus was the wise plan of God to make a way for sinners to be saved and to expose just how loving and gracious and more powerful God is than any kind of wickedness who could stand against him. If you're discouraged this morning because of the wickedness and brokenness in your life and you look at it and you say, how could God bring anything good from this moment? Look to the cross of Christ where the darkest moment in the history of the cosmos looked like God was losing. And in that moment, God was winning a people for himself who would not have to suffer death and shame forever by the death of the one who took their place. You can look at it, and it's Christ. Look at suffering and sin and darkness and recognize it is not the sovereign. God is the sovereign. And he came to confront the consequences of sin, death itself, and he came not just to take it for us, but to then overcome it for us. Truth number seven, we've made it. Jesus is wisdom resurrected. That's what we're here to celebrate today. All of that message, all of Proverbs 8, all the build up to Jesus, all the miracles and teachings is foolishness. If Jesus stays dead, all of it is just foolishness. It, it makes Jesus a liar. It makes his miracles just tricks. But if he's alive, wisdom wins. It's not just that it's not foolish, but it's proof that wisdom wins. On the third day, after facing such death, Jesus overcomes the curse and punishment that humanity invites on themselves. He takes the curse, and now he's in the position, having defeated the very thing, which defeats all of humanity, defeated death itself, he's now in the position to offer the invitation. You can very, very easily put Jesus in the place of wisdom, calling out in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 32, to everyone in the room, Now, O sons, listen to Jesus I mean, blessed are those who keep his ways. Hear instruction, be wise, don't neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to Jesus, watching daily at his gates, watching beside his doors. Whoever finds Jesus finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find Jesus injures himself. All who hate Jesus love death. And what does it mean? What does it mean? That Jesus rose again, wisdom incarnate, was crucified and resurrected. What does it mean for us? Let me just leave you with a couple thoughts. Resurrection of Jesus signals this. 
that we should listen to Jesus. <laughs> now, it's an amazing thing that he proved authority over sickness and sin, over storms, but he has shown the world by way of resurrection that he has authority even over the very thing that defeats every human being, death itself. If this is true, if it's true that Jesus has this kind of authority over death, and that everything he ever said was true, we should surrender our lives to his authority. Church, let's keep his ways. If he's alive, let's hear his instruction and be wise. Let's find Jesus and find life and find favor from the Lord. If Jesus is wisdom crucified and resurrected, then he must be Lord of our lives. We cannot put Jesus on the mantle of our life to be picked up and worshipped once a year while we pursue a foolish path. That is not what Jesus has called us to, and it's unfair to even call ourselves followers of Jesus or Christians if we do not believe him to be wise. Wise enough to tell us how we ought to live our lives for our good and his glory. Jesus' resurrection signals to all of us that it is foolish to follow any other way than the way that Jesus leads Second thought is this, resurrection signals to the world that there's hope in Jesus. You see what's happening here, the themes. The creator has not left the world to spiral out of control forever, to spiral into decay and death and sin. God aims to undo what sin has done. You see wisdom in Proverbs 8. It's crafting. It's pulling together uh, 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 from darkness to light. It's pulling together chaos and putting structure. It's creating a world for humans to flourish where there is no death and, and where they get to enjoy eternal life with one another and with God. And sin messes all of that up. But do you see what God's doing in the person and work of Jesus? He's starting the process of restoring what has been broken. He aims to reverse what death has done for those who trust in Jesus. Beginning with Jesus, the Bible describes the resurrection of Christ as a foretaste or a first fruits of the promises of God. That, that death is being undone for anyone who would turn to him. And one day there's going to be a world where, where wisdom reigns again. Fully and finally, that there will no, be no more evidence of foolishness anymore. No more funerals to go to. No more hospitals needed. Police officers will be out of work. Military will be out of work. Because there'll be this world where wisdom rules and no foolishness anymore. And it started with the overcoming of its results. Death is done because Jesus stands on an empty tomb. That's the promise we've been given through the resurrection, therefore, we have hope as Christians. Our pain, suffering, loss, and agony, our grief, they were not original role players in the created order, and they will not be in the end. Like wisdom, Jesus is calling. He's inviting you to a better way, the only way to resurrection life. Jesus' call to you is a call of either life or death. And, and you might think that that sounds foolish. This whole message may sound foolish to you. And let me just say, God delights in proving himself infinitely more wise than you. <laughs> he delights when humans think that they've got it figured out, but recognize 
how much more lofty the plan of God really is. And so let me close with uh, just a, a, a reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul has obviously seen all these concepts come to play, and he's working out how he's thinking about God's plan to save the world through Jesus. Verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 1 says this, The word of the cross is folly, it's foolishness, it's moronic to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where's the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world didn't know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Jews demand sign, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews, folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. In verse 30, he says this, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, so that as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Church, uh, the way we respond this morning to this is to simply behold. We've been working through the Proverbs for several weeks. We've had some hard sermons talking about sins, adultery, and all types of uh, things that a foolishness that we walk in, but the, the point of the, the sermon this morning is for you to behold the wisdom of God in the face of Jesus and to ask yourself, do I really believe this? Is Christ my wisdom, the one who stood in my place, the one who helps me to walk the path of life? Let's pray and let's worship this Jesus. Jesus, you are wisdom revealed, wisdom crucified, wisdom resurrected. And Lord, we just pray, help us to believe, help us to behold, help us to worship, help us to walk in your truth. I pray for those in the room that are not Christians, that wrongly believe that if by their own efforts they can somehow walk this path to life. I pray that you would free them from that burden of trying to be good enough or thinking they could be good enough and they would look to Jesus, their only hope. Jesus, the one who was good enough on their behalf. God, I pray for the Christian in the room who feels their weakness very much so. Father, who feels distant from you. God, I pray that they would behold the great lengths that you have gone to reveal yourself to them. And they would have a real sense of the love of God. The sacrificial affection that would lead the infinite wisdom of God to become a man 
and live the life they couldn't live and die the death they deserve to die and raise again on the third day to give them eternal life they never could have earned. May they revel in it, worship in it, joy in it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.